Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. Everett Howell and his son, Dr. Siegfried E. Howell, teamed up to write From Ordinary People to Great Leaders, an application of biblical models to contemporary leadership issues. The key is to focus on what you and your organization can be the best at doing and focusing on what you can do or must do to accomplish your goals. There's plenty of plenty of information to unpack in that statement. So let's get right into our conversation. Please wave your hands to welcome Everett Howell and Dr. Siegfried E. Howell. Hi, Thank guys. <laughs> welcome. Hi, thank you very much. Glad you're here. So whichever Everett wants to answer this, how did you get involved in leadership activities? Well... Thank you, Susan, for the invitation to participate in this discussion. As a young person, a younger person, my responsibility was to a number of youth in my organization. I had to develop different ways and means of um, educating them, interacting with them. And one of the things that I did with them was uh, leadership training. So through the years, I did a lot of training with uh, young people. Now, I didn't know that my son, who was who seemed so disinterested in those younger days, was uh, watching and listening. So when he was doing his uh, doctoral work and was uh, expanding his area of knowledge, he would contact me every weekend and we would chat about leadership and whatnot. And then one day he said, Daddy, why don't you write a book on leadership? Or I said to him, well, there's so many books out there on leadership, there's nothing new I can, um, I, I can give that would be of interest of anybody. And he said, well, you can do something from your background and from your orientation. And I thought about it. And his wife, LaRonda, uh, focused on it and encouraged him to encourage me. And so we got started. I got started writing and found an angle that I used with the young people in previous years as I studied the life of David, who was my Bible, favorite Bible character, and I studied the life of David and the challenges that he went through before he became a leader and then one of the world's greatest leaders. And so as we went through this and the mind began to expand, he saw different nuances and different ways of approaching this and sharing something with ourselves and then with a wider audience. And I think that was the motivation. He encouraged me to go after it. And um, then I encouraged him to participate in it as he was uh, studying. So if I can just briefly add to that. Um, so one yes. of the things that we were talking about was um, trying to modernize a lot of the biblical principles of leadership using David, Moses, and, and some of the other leaders that we found there. Because a lot of times people would use the biblical principles 
but there's also modern day jargon that can be used as you explain what some of those biblical leaders were doing, some of their qualities, some of their faults. So we wanted to take something that was a little old, but still useful and bring it into the modern day time. I would expect that the term servant leader might be one of those terms. That yeah, is correct. How, how did you do what? Servant leader. Yes. What was the question? When you had, it was just that servant leader is one of those terms that's a modernized term. We use it a great yeah. deal in society, but it's not it's not a biblical term in technically. It is a so now that you've written this book, oh, go ahead. I was saying that uh, servant leadership is a biblical term uh, as applied by Jesus, for example. He told his disciples, look, in the world, the leaders lord it over their subjects. But as a Christian, you are not to lord it over people. You are a servant. And that is uh, a servant leadership is one who can get down on the level with the, the workers, work with them, help them to grow as they help your organization to grow. And so from Jesus modeling uh, to his disciples, servant leadership is better than the lordship in leadership. And so, the term servant leadership is not that, not that modern. It, it is an old concept, old Christian biblical uh, concept given by Jesus to revolutionize uh, the difference between what we call a boss and the servant. He that is greatest is the one who can stoop and serve. I don't know if how many people agree with that today they might talk about it, but most of us want to be a boss in charge of somebody and to extend that bossism to show who is in charge here, uh, who's in charge here in terms of pay, who's in charge here in terms of giving orders and that type of thing. But uh, servant leadership is being able to it's share. It's interesting. Yeah. Go ahead, please. It's interesting that you say that because I, I have at one time or another worked in multi-level marketing with big companies. And one of the phrases that they use regularly is servant leadership in order to gather the flock of all of your, um, you know, the, the, the people that have come onto your team in your sales force. It's important that the person who's at the head of that team takes a servant leader role. So I do think it has a modern application, certainly in, in our society, even though we focus on profit and who is in charge a lot of the time. Um, do you, I, I was going to talk a little bit first about whether you use this book when you train leadership now. It, it is organized in such a way that there is an appendix so that anyone who is in a leadership position who wants to do a training program, it is made user-friendly 
because there is an outline of the book in the appendix so that the book can be used as a resource tool for anyone who wants to train other individuals in uh, leadership methodologies. Uh, that makes it easier for the person who has the book to be able to organize a training program. If but I it's not a children's in, book, is it? It's surely. Yes, um, if I can just jump in quickly, if you look at the five levels of leadership by um, John Maxwell, he talks about most people who are leaders, they come in at the position level of leadership, which is I have the right to tell you what to do. I have the right to make the money. I have the right to delegate because that is my position. But he suggests in his book, The Five Levels of Leadership, that you should go from level one to level five. Level one being position. Level two is permission where you're giving relate. Um, you're forming relationships. I am giving you power because I want to share with you. And then level three, we are we're results driven. Level four, we're developing people. And level five, we're at the pinnacle where we are now forming brand new leaders. So we step back and let other people join the leadership um platform so one of the major things that a good leader is supposed to do is to be able to develop people not just force people to do your bidding or force people to follow but to develop people to work in the background or work in the forefront and once they get to a point where they are effective leaders for you to step back and let them take the forefront because the best form of leadership is where no one knows who the leader who the leader is if when we walk into the room if everybody has the ability to be leaders and everything is functioning properly then the leader has done his job effectively and i think a lot of times we as leaders in the modern day we want to let everybody know that we're in charge so like you said servant leader is what we're trying to um, get to. They add here that you find that the leader is not the one who knows all. So a successful leader must be willing to grow in leadership. And as you grow, the mind expands, the leadership understanding expands, and the people that are working to make their organization a success must see themselves as growing in the organization and together the individual and the leadership, the administration are growing and then that grows the organization. So that this book is to help individuals, not just to be there for, to be employed, but to see themselves in a growth uh, profile and to see the organization growing also. So that I would think that a book like this in the hands of employees and in the hands of employers and reading it and utilizing it properly is a positive benefit for the growth and development of the organization. So that I may come into an organization at the level one, but I have an inspiration and a vision to go to level five because I know that there is growth possibilities. I've got to grow. I've got to want the organization to grow. And if I'm in charge of the organization, I must see 
growth for myself, growth for the organization, growth for my team. And this book is designed to help individuals accomplish those objectives. Interesting that you use these five levels um, that John Maxwell wrote about. Um, and we're talking about a biblical setting and using the biblical uh, figures as examples of leadership throughout time. Do you think they each demonstrate those five levels or is that something that's distinctly our time period? I'll let you start that. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, most of uh, the three leaders that we use, they started not really being efficient in leadership, but they grew and got to understand the team that they work with, train them. In the case of Jesus, Jesus had to spend three, at least three years training his disciples to become what the Christian church became. David ran all over Palestine hiding from uh, Saul, who was a leader who didn't understand what leadership was all about. And he didn't grow into leadership. On the other hand, David grew into leadership understanding. He took 500 dissident uh, unorganized uh, rascals and made them into a fighting team. And that became the background of his leadership skills and then transferring those skills as they developed into the kingship leadership. So Moses also, he made mistakes in the beginning of his leadership. He had all of them, they rebelled against him, they wanted to go back to Egypt, but he had to grow on the job he had to expand his leadership ability and leadership skills until he was satisfied that they were going forward with him. And so all of these leaders that we've used, at some point in time, they could see or could feel that there were failures. But what they did in the core of their leadership was so dynamic and so, and, and, and so tremendous that even after they left, that legacy kept on growing so that what the organization they left behind became a worldwide strong organization. So that they grew on the job, yes. They didn't have internet. They didn't have uh, all the things, resource books and that type of thing, but they had good listening ears, tremendous memories, oral transmission of the past, and they also had insight from God as to what God wanted them to be and to do. And listening to the divine voice kept them on course when they were tempted to go off course. So yes, I will say, Susan, that um, what may seem to be modern, um, that Peter Drucker, for example, he picked up the Jethro model of organizing, organizing individuals into leadership and sharing the leadership skills and he use it and modernize it. But he goes back to the Bible and saw that model that was given to Moses by Jethro and he modernized it, used it and recommended it. So that a lot of the modern ideals 
and recommendations. If you check the Bible, successful Bible characters, you can find that many of them succeeded because these skills were incorporated into the leadership uh, genre. Thank you. And to add to that further, if you look at um, John Maxwell, he was an ordained minister, and most of his books are based on the biblical principles. And so he's taken it and he's modernized it. But to go back to your original question, a first level leader makes people follow because they have to, but if but a level five leader, people follow because of what you represent. So people like David, people follow David and what he represented by the end of his leadership. Uh, Moses, people followed him because of what he represented. People follow Jesus because of what he represented. So when a leader can get to embody a certain level of thinking, people will follow you because of what you represent, your brand, not because they have to, but because they want to be part of something that is transformational to them. Yeah, additionally, uh, St. Frieda and Susan, you know, one of the things recorded in the Psalm about David, mm -hmm. uh, the text says that God took David from mining the sheep, from fallen lambs, and he brought him to lead Israel, his people, and he led them with the integrity of his heart. That word integrity of his heart indicates that there was something in his character that God looked for and God wanted. And today, modern leadership still needs to have, still needs to demonstrate that there's integrity. My word should be my bond if I'm a leader. I should be trusted that what I say and what I do others can follow safely. So integrity of heart is a biblical concept and it can be applied today as a real need in today's leadership where the leader today, his word needs to be his bond. He needs to be trusted. He needs to be a man of character or a woman of character because that is what people want, good, genuine leaders. And so, these Bible characters were not fly-by-night, old-time cave people. These were individuals who were on the cutting edge of their time. They had great minds. They had their, their, their platform. They had the parameters within which they would work. And like David, there were certain parameters that David set for his life that he would not trust us or cross. And he encouraged those people who were following him not to cross those boundaries that were set up as goalposts for working with integrity and moral standing that the word and the bond can be trusted. So yes, it may seem as we're looking at old characters, but old characters who had a vision of a future and we are benefiting from that vision today also. What I found interesting as listening to the five levels of leadership, Siegfried, is that we don't use a, a sense of divinity, a sense of connection to God, or a sense of listening to God in our day-to-day -day secular conversations. And 
that when you explain it, it's all there. I hear that presence in what you're describing as leadership, but I find it interesting that it's not in our day-to-day -day dialogue. Well, it should be in our day-to-day -day dialogue. Um, a lot of times people believe that to be successful, you have to be logical. And a lot of people who are logical want to take the spiritual aspect out of their lives. If they can't see it, and if they can't quantify it and touch it, they don't want to be a part of it. And so a lot of times people, they remove the religion aspect because they, a lot of people think it's a fallacy, it's a fantasy, and people who get tied up in religions because they don't have anything else to live for. But if you look at the biblical principles, there were a lot of people that were successful in the Bible because they did not just look out for themselves, they looked out for others. And if you look at politics today and you look at leadership today, you will see that if the people who are in charge spend a little less time focusing on self and focusing on service, that they will have more leadership successes. They wouldn't have as many negative press as they are subjected to, and they would not have as many problems that they run into as because they are out to get money, they're out to get fame, they're out to get fortune. If they're trying to work on building people up and turning people into successful leaders, pulling people up versus how much can I get from you? How much can I get from this organization? Then they will have less problems in this world. So I believe you are correct, but we need to step back into that whole way of looking where I am my brother's keeper. I need to take care of the people around me because if I'm rich and I'm wealthy, let's say everybody around us is wealthy. Who's gonna do the things that rich people don't want to do? Who's gonna do the things that I may not want to do? And so do I look down at those people or do I try to pull them up also? So if I'm standing back, and I'm saying, hey, I'm in charge, you all are down there, then that creates hostility. That creates a lot of contention between the people, the haves and the haves not. But if I am willing to treat you, everyone around me, the same way that I want to be treated or the same way I'm willing to treat myself, you will find that regardless of what our job is, regardless of what our position is in life, people will be more content and less likely to be defiant because they feel like they have a sense of purpose. When people know their why, when people have their purpose, when people have their vision, they're more likely to accept what is happening to them in life. But people want to be treated a certain way. And that's one of the things that Appreciative Inquiry talks about. Appreciative Inquiry says, hey, everybody has a point of view. Because you're the leader, that does not mean that you have the best point of view. You might have an aerial look looking down at everyone. But the janitor, he also has a perspective. He sees things that are going on. The, the, the um, first year worker, the second year worker, the managers, they all see things that are going on that you as a leader or you as a manager may not be able to see. So if we concentrate on what is working and amplify those things and help everybody to grow in their area of strength, then we help our organization to grow and everybody feels like they are an, actual, an active and integral part of the growth process. 
So when we take self out of the equation, we can get more people up those levels from level one to level two, all the way up to level five, where people are following, even the janitor, even the teachers, even the garbage collector, even the doctors, the lawyers, um, the surgeons, everyone will be willing to come on that journey with us because everyone sees their role in the, basically in the world. In, in other words, um, interesting as, go ahead. I, I was saying, um, in other words, the book from ordinary people to great leaders is not fiction, it's practical. It is presenting to the readers a way of looking at how success can be achieved. And it is written in a way to appeal both to adult leaders and to young people. Uh, we believe that as we come to this time in human history, that God is still looking for young individuals, young people to replace some of us older people in leadership. But we don't, he doesn't want individuals who don't have a moral telescope, a vision of a better future. And so the book is designed to have parents who have young people in their homes, see themselves as potential leaders and therefore to listen to the call for leadership, expose yourself to the best principles possible so that when God is ready for you, you are ready to say yes. It is also designed to help leaders to grow in their leadership and not to be stuck in a, in a rut, going around a circle, uh, tired and worn out. It can motivate them to have a vision of a better future for themselves and for the organization so that the book is user-friendly. It is, it is taken some Bible characters modernize their modus operandi and present it back to the modern generation and say, look, these individuals started at level one and they grew. Not only did they grow and not only was their growth recognized, but their organization still exists. What they stood for, what they planted still exists. So it was rooted and grounded in a firm foundation. Do you want your organization to exist even after you are gone? Do you want your son or your daughter to replace you and become better than you were? This book will help parents, leaders of all types and hues to have something good to give for Christmas, for a birthday as gifts because it is user-friendly, it is practical, and it is applicable to this modern generation and the challenges that we have before us, especially leadership challenges, when there are so many different kinds of leaders but are not leading in an upward direction. We need to not allow I wanna, the negative- Yeah, I'd like to- I'd like to interrupt you just a minute here um, because I have a question. We are, we're talking about servant leaders and the word obedience keeps coming to me the word because of, throughout the Old Testament, 
Yeah. Obedience. Okay. In the Old Testament, God chastises people continuously, book after book after book, for their lack of obedience to him. Where in our more modern concepts or in our evolving concept of servant leaders, where does the concept of obedience fit in? Obedience that can fit in if you have an objective norm, if you have a measuring rod, if you have the goalpost set and everything is set for success by shooting that goal through that goalpost. But if you, if one feels that I have freedom, yes, each one, each one wants freedom to do as you please and not follow rules, then you will never shoot a goal or if you shot, shot a goal, it would be an accident. The leader has to be able to mobilize the team, teach them and train them that there are goal posts. And in order to score a goal, You've got to aim at that goalpost. You can't run all over the place and not focus on the goalpost. And so you may call that obedience, but it is also a discipline in knowing that there is right and wrong. Um, there is freedom to choose, but there's also the freedom to choose right as well as the freedom to choose wrong. So one has then to be disciplined and organized to allow the right choice to be made more often than the wrong. You may call that obedience. You may call that, well, I don't want to use the word enslavement or servitude, because even in that, one has the will to walk away from what is being done. So we, you mentioned, Susan, that God is always complaining about obedience, but God complain about obedience after he had given them the better choice, the better plate from which to choose, the better arrangement of menu, and they still went aside and chose something to their own detriment. It wasn't so much that God was asking them to follow him blindly as to helping them to see that the choices that they were making we're going to destroy them. And God was not concerned about, no, God did not want those that he had made in his image and likeness then to be destroyed by wrong choices. And so as a parent, you tell your children and say, faith and attest to this. Uh, as a parent, you have to say, look, you have a choice. This is what the house rules are these are the house rules you get in by a certain time or there's punishment well he may say well, i have freedom to choose that is true but then you get the punishment and so obedience there must be rules if there's no rule there's chaos and so obedience to the rule means you will succeed disobedience to that means you're going to hurt yourself and that's not what god wants 
So if I can also add in there, um, the people of the Bible did not have access to a lot of books like we do, like we currently do today. And the Bible was being written as it was being played out. And so they did not have the Ten Commandments or they did not have all, all the history to say, hey, you know what? If you do this, this is going to happen to you. So God had to be a little bit more um, hands-on with that particular set of people. Those were his chosen people. So if they were his kids, it's kind of like, like my father was saying, in our household, there are certain rules. If you want to be a howl in this household, these are the rules. You may not like all of the rules, but you have to follow them because these are the rules that go along with this particular household. If you don't like these particular rules, then you're going to have to leave the household. And so the Israelites were God's people. They were God's children. So there were certain rules and regulations that they had to live by. They went on a trip that was supposed to take 40 days and it took them 40 years because they did not want to follow the rules and regulations mm -hmm. of the house. And so God, in his wisdom, he wanted to show them that there was a better way. And good for us, we have the Bible that teaches us, hey, when you go this way, this is what happens. So if you, if you go back to servant leadership, a servant leadership is just one of the many different types of leadership. Some people have eight different forms of leadership, but um, I have a few on my screen that I want to just rattle off really fast. Transfer transformational leadership, transactional leadership, laser fair leadership, situational leadership, strategic leadership, autocratic leadership, and servant leadership is one, um, pay setter leadership, democratic leadership. And so there are different forms of leadership, but one of the main things that I wanted to um, bring out in the book was David started as a shepherd for 40 years, he developed patience. Then he went into the palace. Moses started at the palace. He got the leadership of the Egyptian um, scholars, but then he left that training and he had to go to be a servant um, taking care of sheep for 40 years. So they both got leadership training, but they both had to develop their patience and their ability to follow what is what is known as one of the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. Now I grew up on a farm and we had sheep and sheep are some of the dumbest animals that you can come across. And to shepherd sheep demands a lot of patience. They don't have a lot of understanding. They're not like dogs. You can't train them to do certain things. They are, I've seen a sheep wrap itself around the stake to the point that it will literally choke itself. It doesn't even have enough sense to just back up a little bit just so it can give itself a little bit more air to breathe. And so when God refers to us as sheep, he's basically telling us we are really dumb. And so these are the <laughs> guidelines that we can follow if we want to have a better life because we automatically in our sinful natures want to go the wrong way. So as a leader, you also have to understand that you don't have all the answers. You will be dumb in some areas. And that's why a good leader has to be able to listen to the people around him and also put people around him that would make him look good because they are strong where he is weak. And that's why even in marriages, opposites attract. 
Um, for example, with me and my wife, I have certain traits. She has certain traits. I look at the big picture. She's a nitpick person. You can't always big picture everything in life. Sometimes you need the nitpickers to come in and say, hold up, honey, you miss this, you miss this, you miss this. And sometimes I have to tell her, hey, baby, you're looking at too many small things. You got to step back and look at the forest and not the individual trees. So opposites do attract. And so as you are leading, you have to incorporate more than just the leadership of a servant style. You have to be transformational also. Sometimes you have to be transactional. Hey, I need for you to do this so that we can get this in the outcome or so that we can all benefit from this particular outcome. And sometimes I need to be democratic. Sometimes the leader needs to step back and let other people take charge and let other ideas be um, pushed forward. And so it's not just one type of, one type of leadership that is a band-aid for everything. A leader must be learning continually. And that's why it takes almost a lifetime to get to the fifth level of leadership, where people follow you because of what you stand for. Leaders most of the time do not start out knowing what they stand for. It takes time. Uh, Susan. You made an interesting comment, Siegfried, when we started our conversation okay. about the, qual the, the challenges of leadership, what it takes. Are people willing to do what it takes to become great leaders? Yes, uh, you have to be able to be up when other people are sleeping. You have to be able to sacrifice. You have to be able to put your ego aside. You have to be able to step into the conversation and people feel comfortable enough around you where they are willing to give their ideas. So even though you may not agree with their ideas, you have to listen and people have to feel comfortable in listening, um, comfortable in speaking their ideas. So if if the last time they gave ideas, you chopped their head off. Next time you ask for an idea, everybody's going to be sitting there and everybody's going to be hearing crickets because nobody wants to get their head chopped off. And so a leader has to create a culture of learning or and a culture for learning. And so the leader must be willing to put ego aside. And sometimes when something is happening, you may not be the best at presenting that particular topic. So you let someone else step up and be the leader. And that's why the level five, um, the level five um, level of leadership is so important because you're bringing people up. Level four, you bring people up to be leaders themselves. So people have to feel comfortable. People have to learn consistently and people have to be growing. So you as a leader grow, people under you grow, and you bring everyone up. And that's one of the main things of leadership, but there's a lot of sacrifice. You're going to, it's going to be a lot of alone time. A lot of people, you're going to lose a lot of friends because you're going to have to make decisions that people don't want to make. Sridi uh, and Susan, uh, what you have just yes. said, uh, what you have just said, uh, Sridi, uh, you mentioned the word listening. Many times as Leaders, we want to do the majority of the talking and not listen even to the janitor. I remember a story of a, a vehicle that got stuck under a bridge because the driver didn't read how high the bridge was or how high his vehicle was and then the vehicle got stuck under the bridge. 
and they called in all of the um, experts to find out how to get this truck unstuck without destroying the truck or the bridge. And a little school boy can buy, you know, boys always find something to attract their attention. A little school boy came by and he saw the predicament and he said, why don't you let the air out the tires? So all of the, all of the, the scientists and all the scientific uh, methodologies and for the measurements and so forth, they didn't think of letting the air out of the tires. The little fellow said, let the air out of the tires. They did that and the vehicle became unstuck. We've got to be able to listen even though we think that that listening is insignificant, it might be the key to what you want to open. The other thing, and, uh, and commenting on what Freddie has just said, in order to know the needs of your staff or your followers, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to be able to empathize with them. And to do that, you've got to integrate with them and to find out, for example, uh, when the wife is going to have the baby, when the son is going to graduate, so that you can give time off and all of that. Make the individuals and the organization feel that you are not uh, just a supervisor, you are an empathetic supervisor. So listening and empathy are very important in grooming others, and helping an organization to grow because your organization will grow if everybody is pulling his weight, making his or her contribution. And everybody feels that that contribution is being recognized, respected and appreciated. So leadership is more than just letting somebody know who is the boss. It is letting everybody know that we're in this thing together, even though there's somebody ultimately responsible the buck stops here, but we are in it together. Powerful points, gentlemen. This is a subject we could go on and on. It's obviously the lifetime work of many people to figure this out. So where is the book available, Everett? The book is available on Amazon, at the, the publishers, iUniverse, um, all, all of the leading bookstores uh, is, is available. Uh, online. It's uh, in hardcover, paperback, as well as ebook. And so it is available all now on these, uh, on these various outlets. But, so most of the outstanding uh, book outlets is available. They have been advertised to all of them. Have you thought about putting it out as an audio book? I've thought about it. But one of the things that we would look at is that we sell enough so that it can be self-supporting. So when we, when we yes. see enough, <laughs> when we see enough royalty come in, we will go the next step and have it as an then you'll go The, the next swing around in the process. Yes, so it's, uh, it's back of our minds. Yes, but, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, when we see how this advertising here on your radio program, how profitable it is and and in maximizing sales, then we can have a cash flow coming in. We then have a cash flow going out. It is managing the in and out of the cash flow. There is. 
that raises an interesting point because part of doing these um, audio presentations is that you also become proactive in getting that audio, um, the, the broadcasts and the, and the doc, the links to these different platforms to the people who are, um, who are potential buyers so that you are out sending, it's like sending postcards or flyers or that sort of marketing aspect that you do the same thing with the tape and the link that you receive so that it carries on. You can send it to the bookstore owner. You can send it to the churches and the schools and the libraries and the, the media so that they know that you've generated this work on leadership. And, it all, and then it feeds, it grows into something greater. Thank you very much. We, it's we, not we, a one-time thing. Yes, we, we appreciate you telling us that and we appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you. We like your questions, we like your way of thinking, and so keep up the good work. Thank you very much for having us on today. Dr. Alfredi. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you came. Susan is an awesome coach, and uh, Freddie uh, is, is moving into uh, coaching individuals, so you all need to talk some more as to, from her experience, how she can help you to become a better coach of people. Yes, no problem at all. I, I will reach out to her also. <laughs> this is wonderful. So I'd also like to thank our listeners. Uh, we've been talking with Everett Howell and his son, uh, Dr. Siegfried Howell, about their book, From Ordinary People to Great Leaders, An Application of Biblical Models to Contemporary Leadership Issues. Thank you again, gentlemen. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Thank you. And as we, care. And as we close out today's, <laughs> thank you. As we close out today's call, I invite you to contact me if you would like to have some help pursuing a dream that you hold. You, have, you can improve your results and, and as you get and build those dreams. So feel free to DM me, direct message me on Facebook at Susan Shereko. I have a few slots available in a group I'm, I have, am maintaining that can help you make a, a few positive changes to move forward. So thank you all, everyone. That's it for today's program. Thank you so much for coming, Everett and Siegfried. Bye for now, everybody. Have Bye. a great Bye. day. Be Take blessed, care. be well, be safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, Sharing the Journeys of Those Affected by Sudden and Great Loss, and What They Did to Heal, Rebuild, and Where They Are Now.